Welcome back, everybody, to the Hangout in the Holy Land. That's the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your free premier resource for all things Ohio State news and Ohio State athletics. I am your intrepid host, Mr. Matt Brown. I am the managing editor of this here website, along with the college, one of the college league managers for SB Nation. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Colton Denning, a regular contributor here along these parts for Land Grant. Colton. What's good, my man? Well, I'm doing fantastic today, Matt. Sun is out here in Boulder, Colorado. Colorado Buffaloes are four and one. The Ohio State Buckeyes are four and zero. Oh. A lot, lot of good things happening around uh, around Boulder right now for me. This is this has been really an unexpected kind of Colorado resurgence here. Everyone's talking about we have a return of the 1990s. Miami's good. Tennessee's good. Nebraska's kind of good. Colorado's good again. Like, this is, what, the first time Colorado's been ranked in, like, 11 years? Yeah, since 2005. So I, I actually ended up going to the game against Oregon State on Saturday down here, and they took care of business pretty good. And, like, the, the one thing with that because I haven't been to a bunch of games lately. I went to see him go play Colorado State, but the one thing I always forget about, no matter who it is, when you go to a college football game, your whole day, depending – on what time the game is played is just like totally wrecked. So like I watched the first quarter and a half of the Ohio State game and caught up with all of it yesterday, but like Louisville Clemson, I didn't watch until the last couple of drives. I had no idea that Northwestern beat Iowa until like yesterday at 5 p.m. And I was like, <laughs> what? Like I had zero clue that that had happened. And so you, your day just like kind of goes to the wasteland, especially if, if you've been, you know, you have one or two or a few more beers. But um, yeah, good day and uh, not a lot to talk about with Ohio State and Rutgers. But um, I actually do have some, uh, some takes pertaining to the overall health of the Ohio State program, and uh, I think I'm kind of buying in on this team now. You know, I uh, that's a bold take. It's a hot take, but we have you on this podcast, I think, specifically, so you so you can drop that particular fire. I think I'm ready to go out on that ledge here with you. In my opinion, Ohio State football actually is good. I, I'm 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 with you about you know just just as as a quick aside, I'm with you about how actually going to the game can really mess up your schedule and everything. And it's one of the reasons why I think we have to take the AP poll with you know an enormous grain of salt as if we hadn't already reached that conclusion already. Like if you are covering a 3:30 game at a stadium or if you're tailgating at a 3:30 kickoff, you're not watching very much of the noon kick because you're 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 getting set up and you're and you're you're talking to people or or you're you know you're you're out in the parking lot having a couple of beverages. And then if you're a reporter, you're at that 3:30 game. You don't leave until nine or ten because that you know that that game ends three and a half, four hours later. And then you're interviewing people. You're in the locker room. You're writing your story. You're commuting back. You're missing most of the football. I mean, I usually cover you know two or three games a year. But the longer I do this, the more I really do prefer just being in our office where I can have three televisions set up. Like you know, I watched the Rutgers game on a couch. I had my my, my a, a big TV, my own little box. I had some Popeyes. I uh, just kind of you know was able to to lean back here and enjoy it i could i could change the channel on commercials and let my myself kind of zone out a little bit because as i'm sure you noticed that was a just a obliteration uh, what rutgers was a bug and ohio state's defense was the windshield and i don't really know any other more colorful way to 
to, to talk about what we witnessed here other than just a, uh, an, uh, just a an obliteration. Yeah, and the the thing that uh, I think made it so complete, it was it was all sides of the ball. The, the offense kind of started yeah. a little bit slow. They had their moments where it wasn't really clicking, but by the middle, I think, of the second quarter, they really started to roll. You look at what the defense did, obviously, when you hold the team to, what, 33 yards passing and 110 total yards, regardless of who that team is, whether it's Rutgers or, or even an FC opponent. I mean, that's that's a dominant performance from the defense. And then you look at yards per play margin between uh, FBS teams this week. Ohio State's plus 4.8 advantage was the third highest in the uh, week five games. Points per opportunity advantage, they were a plus 5.9. That was first in the country. And then success rate margin, plus 37%, also first in the country. And I was doing a little bit of digging last night through uh, through some of the stats, and I was looking at the 2013 team and how efficient and how just like grinding that running game is. And as great as the 2014 running game and 2015s were, I feel like this season, at least through four games, games it's approaching that level it's playing at the level of that 2013 team where like I said they were just like they're butter churning opponents where it's like it's first and 10 they're getting eight yards it's second and three they're getting seven yards I mean there's not a lot of three yard gains for this rushing offense so whether it's Mike Weber Curtis Samuel or JT Barrett they are just pounding teams on the ground and as of right now no teams that they have played really other than Tulsa in the first half have had any chance of stopping it yeah you don't really necessarily need a an ability to churn off 30 or 40 yard rushes although really for the first time this season Ohio State was able to do that against Rutgers because their offensive line and the interior of Rutgers defensive line was, was such a big mismatch but you're, you're right if you're if you're able to get five six seven and have that high success rate every single time not only it, it, it just has so many compounding impacts there that's demoralizing for your defense and it shows us that as that margin widens later and later in the game people get tired you you get to you you get to control the clock you are able to physically impose impose your will and you're also able to put jt barrett and these young wide receivers in more efficient positions where, where they're able to be successful I and mean, and they're just they're just picking everybody off there's there's a reason right now that ohio state is ranked the best team in the country via the f plus statistical model which you can find on footballstudyhalt.com every single game has been a blowout and uh, another big line was covered, which then um, led me to something that I think surprised me a little bit. We don't. We probably don't really need to rehash the Rutgers game anymore. I'm, I'm content if we don't talk a whole lot about Rutgers really the rest of the season. Do you have uh, any Chris Laviano takes? Uh, Chris Laviano's not very good. There's, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's my take. If you, um, if you have 33 yards passing, your quarterbacks aren't very good. The Buckeyes play Indiana this this Saturday. It's a 3:30 kickoff. The game's in Columbus, and uh, the Buckeyes. As of the time of this recording, we are chatting in the afternoon here on Monday, October 3rd. The Buckeyes are 32.5-point favorites over the Hoosiers. Now, historically, that's not that big of a surprise. What, you, you, can you recall, Colton, off the top of your head, when was the last time Indiana beat Ohio State? We were talking before 1988, so I wasn't even alive. I have never seen Indiana beat Ohio State in a football game. So you weren't even alive. I was a year old. I was born in April of 87. I have no intellectual recollection of a time when Indiana's ever beaten Ohio State. And for most of my time growing up throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, when you know my formative years of, of being a college football fan, Ohio State would just destroy Indiana. Indiana, because Indiana was pure ass. 
during during that time. But but in the Urban Meyer era, these games have almost always been close. Ohio State was probably fortunate to beat Indiana last year. They win by a touchdown, and Indiana was was you know about to score a, a tying touchdown at the end of the game. They they won by three, I think, in 2012. In 2013, it's a bigger margin, but I think it was either a tie game or Indiana Ohio State was losing in the second half before Jalen Marshall scored like five touchdowns. So that's a little bit surprising. It's a 32 and a half point line. The Hoosiers, by the way, aren't bad. They're a top 50 team in F+. They've only lost one game. It was a little surprising against Wake Forest. They just upset Michigan State in overtime. Do you think that that is too many points, and are you at all worried about Indiana for Ohio State? Well, I think it's a two-part deal. The, the first one, in the last four years, it has been pretty close. That 2014 game, yeah, they, they were down in the fourth quarter until Jalen Marshall went off, and then last year, like you're saying, they probably should have lost. So 32-and-a-half is... I mean, I mean, that's for a conference game, much less for any other game. That's a ton of points, but especially for one with the history in the last four seasons of how they've played them. But this is something we we talked about last week with the Rutgers game, and I think Indiana is is much better than Rutgers. That, that's not a hot take or anything. But as I was saying earlier about kind of buying into this team, until they don't, just absolutely beat the shit out of another team. I'm going to assume from this point forward that they're going to roll until they get to, you know, Wisconsin the week after this or maybe even the Penn State game, but I think that until they play a close game, I'm going to assume that they just beat the hell out of an opponent. So 32 and a half at home. Sure, why not? I think Indiana's defense is much better than it has been. But I also think the offense, which has given Ohio State problems the last couple of seasons, while it's good, I don't think it's as good as it's been in the past. So I think that the defense should have probably have a better day than they've played against them the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to disagree with you here. I, I understand the argument that Ohio State has killed everybody they've played. They're undefeated against the spread, and it's, I don't believe it's ever even been close. They've covered multiple multiple big lines this year. So if you want to say, I'm going to continue to roll the dice on Ohio State, give me the points, Ohio State, you know, minus anything. I, 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 I respect that idea. I would be a little bit uncomfortable. And I you know if you had asked me about the Rutgers, I, I probably would have said that was too many points too. So, you know, blame me for being dumb and conservative. But Indiana, I mean, for I feel like the past couple of years, we've been saying like, man, Indiana is so creative on offense. Just imagine what they could be if they had a compet- uh, just an, an average defense. And they're about at that point at, at, at right now. They're only giving up, I think, about 22 points a game. Granted that they haven't played a whole lot of explosive offenses. They don't have the same caliber of playmate and they turn the ball over more than you'd like. And I think Ohio State's still going to win this game. But I would not be shocked if things are interesting for maybe a half and the Buckeyes win by, like, 27. I mean, if you compare the lines, I saw our Indiana blog doing this earlier today, the Crimson Quarry. Uh, Ohio State has beaten Indiana by about the same margin that they've beaten Michigan over the last four years. And I wouldn't give Ohio State 32 points against Michigan, certainly by any means. So I, I would expect this to be a closer game, and, and we'll, we'll see what actually happens. Yeah, I don't think it would be a shock at all to see Indiana cover and even make this a close game into the second half. The one thing that's kind of interesting is, It'll, you know, watching them play Michigan State and how they won that game, that's their biggest win since, I mean, I, I can't really think of one. I know that I know they went to the bowl game last year and played Duke, but just in terms of, of beating a really good team, I feel like that's their biggest one in a long time. So it'll be interesting to see a team that hasn't had a ton of sustained success 
basically in their whole entire history, win a game like that. And then on the next week, they go on the road at Ohio State. So possibly a potential letdown there. And I think for for Ohio, from an Ohio State standpoint, that kind of helps you get out of that mindset that, oh, it's just Indiana because you see what they did to Michigan State the week prior. So I think that that kind of helps them in that letdown spot as well with Wisconsin next week where they can say, hey, you know, let's not take this team lightly. Not only have they played us tough in the past, but they also beat a team that went to the playoff last season. You know, uh, that's a good point. I'm looking at this now. This is Indiana's first win over Michigan State since 2006 when they won in Bloomington. I feel like it's been probably about that long since they've beaten a really good team in the Big Ten. And maybe we're not exactly sure how good Michigan State is. But the the mental state of your football team following an event like that, and then, of course, going to a place like Columbus, which is so hard to play, will be an interesting test uh, for Indiana, a team that it's this is not a, a super senior-laden squad, whether you're going to come in just be, you know being happy to, to be there proverbially versus thinking that you're going to be able to pull off pull off an upset. It's I, I, I don't think Indiana's going to win. And that leads to another interesting question, I think. So we know it's been an enormous long time since Indiana has won this game. Not, not only has it been, they won it in 88, they won in 87. Ohio State leads the all-time series between Indiana 71-12 to 12 with five ties. Other than the two wins in 88 and 87, and there was a tie in 1990, Indiana's last win came in 1951. So for like 70 years of football, Indiana's won this game twice. Now, for, for to be fair, for large swaths of that history, Indiana football was not even average. It was very, very bad. This is, and, and you you could probably argue that the last couple of years have been the the best Indiana's been since like the very early '90s, late '80s. At least where they are perennially threatening for a bowl game, at least. And, and this is a similar story, I think, to a couple other teams. You know, I'm I'm 29 years old. In my lifetime, Northwestern has beaten Ohio State only once. Minnesota has beaten Ohio State only once. Uh, Rutgers, two teams have played three times, and the Buckeyes just have destroyed them every single time. They're, they've outscored Rutgers by over 130 points in their in their all-time history. So, you know, th- this led a little bit to an interesting column by uh, by, by by Doug at uh, at the Cleveland.com. Uh, a columnist there, former Ohio State beat writer, somebody that we, we think very highly of on our staff. And I'm probably going to poke at this a little bit more later this week. But Doug wrote maybe you know a, a headline that, that uh, started some arguments. And, and he said that Rutgers would never beat Ohio State uh, and use some of these, these long gaps uh, of or these huge winning streaks that Ohio State has faced with with other Big Ten programs as uh, as as part of that argument, the Ohio State structurally, institutionally, financially, historically, every other thing, you know, coaching wise, talent wise, is dramatically ahead of Indiana and Rutgers, and really the the bottom part here of the Big Ten. I disagree with the idea that Rutgers is never going to win, and, and we can get into that here in a little bit, but I'm, I'm curious. Both of us don't think Indiana is going to win this game. Both of us don't think Indiana is going to probably come within 20 points of this game. These two teams play every season. How long do you think it's going to be before Indiana beats Ohio State again? 
Whew. I, I mean, I, I can't see it happening in the next five years. I mean, it, things change in college football so fast to where Ohio State could win the national championship and Urban Meyer could just say, you know what? That's two here. That's two at Florida. I'm 51 years old. I'm going to call it a career and just do media for the rest of my life. You know, you just never know what's going to happen. And things can change so quick that it's it's hard to say that Rutgers is never going to beat Ohio State. But just like from an on-paper perspective, I, I would say not in the next five to seven years, maybe in the next 10 years. But just in looking at the column, I think the, the biggest you know, disagreement that I have with it is he's saying that a Rutgers win would not only require a downswing in Columbus, but an upswing in Piscataway. And on paper, yeah, you would have to, the Rutgers program has to get better and Ohio State's program would have to get worse. But at the same time, I, I flash back to that, what was it, the 2010 Purdue game with Ohio State where that team went on to win the Rose Bowl. I, I think my main point is here is that that team finished fifth in F plus that Ohio State team and that Purdue team finished 87th that program wasn't on the upswing Ohio State wasn't on the downswing so all it takes is one game you know the the margins are so small sometimes that you just have one game where you play like shit and you lose so I think to say that it'll never happen is false I immediately thought of the Purdue example as well like if you in terms of historical advantage in terms of coaching advantage certainly in terms of talent uh, ohio state has been far ahead of purdue easily for both of our entire lives if not much longer and the the 2000 that you know that 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 example is is very good purdue's beaten ohio state four times since 2000 and they've beaten ohio state when ohio state has is only kind of average and when purdue was was excellent you know drew Brees beat ohio state and they beat ohio state when purdue was awful do i think purdue would win this year hell no i, I think ohio state would, would could win by 50 if maryland can score 50 and nearly win by 50 ohio state certainly can but you're, you're right it only takes one game i think i like rutgers chances of winning one of these games a a little bit more just because I think that their baseline talent floor is higher than Minnesota's or Indiana's or or some of these other teams. Like already the 247 composite has as Rutgers as like, I think the 50th most talented roster. They're going to bring in a couple of blue chip guys this year. I think that they may be able to sign two or three a season. And all you need is a couple of, you know, your three-star kids to play over their heads, Ohio State to play really poorly. And we don't know what's going to happen in a post-Urban Meyer era. Ohio State has not really been per, like consistently bad for more than two or three seasons in a, in 50 years. But they, they've they definitely had, had multiple not-so-elite years, whether that's during a coaching transition or after some recruiting mistakes. You know, I would be surprised to Urban Meyer still the coach at Ohio State after five years. And I feel like after that, all bets are off. I would take a Hoosiers win probably within the next decade. Yeah, I think that seems likely. Like you said, they they should have won last year. And the fact that we're even having this conversation about Rutgers is terrible. You know, thanks a lot, Jim Delaney. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, I mean, we're going to be able to make those jokes for forever. You you, you look at at Rutgers non-revenue sports right now, and 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 they're they're butt, and they've been butt every year, and they're going to be butt for the next couple of seasons. It is it is that is a little depressing. And also, if you were not an Ohio State fan. And you were listening to this. This entire conversation just absolutely screams first world fan problems. And I'm really not trying to be super arrogant or anything. I'm trying to be as, as objective as possible here. I do think it will happen. You play one team every year over a long enough span, and if those two teams are not Kentucky or and and Florida, the lower the lower team is going to win eventually. Football's a weird game, and there's some element of randomness to it. 
I think I think a decade seems like a seems like a fair bet. Within the next ten years, after Myers, like out the Cleveland Browns or, or at the you know the great ESPN you know re- retirement party or something, uh, and the Buckeyes don't get Tom Herman and there's there's a struggle or two. Yeah, you know that's all 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 of that's possible. And Purdue certainly shown you can get lucky once. You know that happened to Oklahoma State when they were probably the second or third best team in the country. It happens every couple of years where someone just loses a completely inexplicable game. And it really is a first world problem. Like. Are we ever going to lose to Rutgers? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> oh, and when that day happens, though, I hope I'm not doing this job anymore because I have talked so much shit about Rutgers on the internet. And even if Ohio State opens up like a 14 to nothing advantage, when that day actually happens, there I will have a lot of crow that I'm going to have to eat. My mentions are going to be on fire. And that's justifiable. I hope when Rutgers wins, I hope every Rutgers fan just comes out of the woodwork and screams, how do you like me now? And and they should. It'll justify everything about the uh, the move to the Big Ten. Yeah. Yep, you're, you're right. Delaney is a genius. The the television <laughs> market works. I'm sorry. I I'm sorry. I was a skeptic. So I feel like those are the the, the big stories. There's one other thing here that I wanted to touch on, Evan. If you had anything else, where well, I'm happy to get to that. It's been a couple of recruiting nuggets that have dropped recently. Typically during the football season is when commitments slow down and a lot of recruiting news kind of slows down a little bit because most players are focusing on their own seasons. You're not able to take official visits as easily, and and you know the, the the big news typically happens either during the summer, during the camp circuit, or you know after December, leading up here to National Signing Day. So the Ohio State hasn't had a commitment in a while. I'm not expecting one for a while. I don't think the Buckeyes will get one for another month. And, and you know you, you you say that now, but things change. But a couple of things did happen. The the, the first was, and and you hate to see this, but uh, one of Ohio State's best recruits, a five star recently tore his ACLs. Is that correct, Colton? Yes. Uh, Trevon Grimes, the the star wide receiver for St. Thomas Aquinas. They were out in Las Vegas playing Bishop Gorman and the two other Buckeye recruits, uh, Tate Martell, the quarterback, and then his wide receiver, Tyjon Lindsey. And I, I didn't see the play, but came down on his leg, had to be taken off the field, and it turns out tore up his knee. Going to be out for the rest of the season, obviously. But from the stuff I've read, it, it sounds like you know the school is and the coaches are still committed to having him in this recruiting class, so not too much of a worry there. But just for the kid, obviously tough in his senior year, trying to finish out the season. And, and St. Thomas Aquinas going for, I think, another national championship on yeah. the high school level. So just always tough to see that happen to a kid. But, you know, we, we've seen it happen to other recruits and then bounce back. JT Barrett had his injury before, I think, his senior year. Josh Sweat, the Florida State player, had a big-time injury to his knee, and he's out playing pretty well for the Seminoles. So you just hope the kid's all right. But uh, tough news on the recruiting front there. Yeah, he's not even the, the first Ohio State commit to Terrace ACL. Jake Moretti out of your neck of the woods. In, in Colorado, Ohio State's four-star tackle missed the entire season, I believe, with uh, with the knee injury. So this doesn't change Grimes the way Ohio State staff feels about Grimes. It might potentially change his ability to contribute as a freshman. But you know, Bosa also uh, you know tore to, had suffered a knee injury, missed a lot of time in high school, and is is a is a contributing player here for Ohio State as a freshman. So if you're good enough, you're going to find a way to get on the field, even though wide receiver is looking like a more and more crowded position here with the Buckeyes, given how well a lot of young players are, are, are playing right now. The other big name involves a player that looks like he's going to be off the board right now in Dylan Moses. This was a little bit of a, of a surprise. A top-ranked outside linebacker, one of the five best players in the country, a complete five-star, has a surprise commitment here to Alabama. So don't look now. Ohio State still has the number one recruiting class in the country, but Alabama has commitments from three 
of the top five players in the country. Number one ranked in A.G. Harris, Dylan Moses, and now Alex Leatherwood. Although I believe Leatherwood has taken a visit to Michigan and is at least entertaining other options here. But that's, yeah, that's that's the, the number one running back, the number one outside linebacker, the number two offensive lineman. It seems that Alabama is still pretty good at recruiting. And if Ohio State, uh, you know, they were probably an underdog here in the Moses, Moses race. But if they want to get into the linebacker in this class, which it seems like they do, they're going to have to be a little bit more creative because there's not that many names left on the board. Well, and just in terms of Moses, just looking at his 24-7 page, if you haven't watched him or, or seen any of his highlights or seen his measurables, he's 6'2 two and a half, 235 right now at 18 years old. That dude is going to get into the Alabama strength program. And we've seen like what they did with Bo Scarborough and Derrick Henry and some of those other linebackers. I do not even want to imagine what he's going to look like in like a year from now because he is going to look like an NFL line. Like I know that's laying it on heavy, but with what they do out there with those linebackers, I wouldn't be surprised to see him at like 255 and like eight months from now and already making plays from them. So thank God that they're in the SEC because that's just more talent for them and it's going to be a scary defense with him on board for the next three seasons. For as well as Ohio State has recruited, and this is a, a stupid selective elite recruiting class. The Buckeyes right now has six five-star commits. And I think have a legitimate chance of potentially adding two more. You know, it's still possible that they don't have the number one recruiting class just because Alabama is is on is on a different level. Like the, the, those those two schools have really separated themselves, I think, from the the rest of college football right now. Alabama has 21 commits. I imagine several of the kids that are in their class right now who are not blue chip kids are going to be processed a la Michigan as we get a little bit closer to national signing day so the tide could open up some more room pick up a more a couple more elite kids buckle up it's gonna be a crazy ride here to the finish for national signing day yeah Nick Saban and Urban Meyer very good at recruiting I think that's that's the main takeaway from this. Uh, that's yeah, that, that's what I'm getting. You know, look, looking at the at the top ten going into 2017 right now, I can't say that anything is especially surprising. It's you know Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma's having a really nice class. Something that I think that they really needed, especially now that they're, they're struggling a little bit. We'll see if any of those guys stick. Notre Dame, Clemson, Florida State, Michigan. And then randomly, South Carolina, although uh, that is mostly because there's, there's 22 kids in there. Most of them are three stars. I would expect them to start to get passed up by some of the schools down in the teens, like your Floridas, your Auburns, your USC's, your Washington's, who are all uh, doing a pretty good job on the trail. Yeah, and it, uh, the Oklahoma thing, a big week for them playing Texas this week for both of those schools with all the news coming out about Charlie Strong. But that would be a pretty rough way for, for OU to, to start the season and sell that uh, that group of kids to come to Oklahoma if in the first five or six games you have losses to Ohio State, Houston, and Texas. But top 10 right now, so hopefully they can keep it up for their sake. Let me, I'll get you out of here on this. I, I, we could probably talk for another 30 minutes about Texas, but we should we should keep this of a manageable length. So I'm looking up, we, I, we actually have a big board here in our office because I'm working with our, our interns doing some coaching stuff for SBNation.com. LSU, Florida International, those coaches are fired. We're looking on the May fire list. Purdue, obviously, Kentucky, certainly on there, Vanderbilt. Kent State, uh, maybe Miami, Ohio, Fresno State after getting pl- you know plastered by UNLV after only a gajillion point lead to Tulsa. I don't see a way that Tim DeRuiter makes it out of the season. Do you feel like other than Texas, there's uh, another name, either a big name or a little name that you think is is very much on the hot seat and and one that we may see open up in the uh, next couple of weeks here? 
off the top of my head, no. We we talked about Clay Helton last week, and it was a very nice win for USC, and I think they can kind yeah. of get that momentum to keep going this week against Colorado, and then moving forward into their into the middle of their Pac-12 schedule, with which is a lot nicer than what they had at the start of the season, and then at the end of the season they have a little bit of a respite. But I think that it's kind of safe for now. I would be interested to see if Northwestern like really falls off a cliff if there isn't at least talks of something with Pat Fitzgerald. I don't think there's a chance in hell they'd fire him. But at some point, I would think that even after they won 10 games, you would assume that some people in the program are thinking, well, you know, maybe last year was a little bit of a fluke. You would think Iowa, but with recent events in the last month or two with Kirk Ferentz's contract, that's not going to happen. But other than the names you mentioned, it's hard to really see somebody making a move. Mike Gundy was the, a talking point earlier in the week, but after they beat Texas, you know, he always finds a way to, to kind of get back on the horse. So I think for the most part, it's pretty steady around the coaching landscape. West Virginia and Dana Holgerson, they've played well to start the season. So he was another big name coming in where you thought, okay, you know, maybe maybe there's a little movement there, but they've played pretty well. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's going to be any really big ones over the next week or two. The only other ones that come to mind for me might be uh, UTEP or Rice. Uh, those teams are a combined one and nine. Neither of them are historical football powers, but it would not shock me if either opened up maybe before we get to November. Maybe those are destinations for Tim Beck. We, we will have to see. There's, there's, there's a lot going on here. Should be a fun weekend of college football. I imagine Ohio, we'll have another big Ohio State win for us to talk about later as well. Be sure to follow along for this podcast on landgrandhomeland.com. You can find it on the website. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We are on SoundCloud. We are on iTunes. Leave us some feedback. Send us send me an email at matt.brown at sbnation.com if you have a question or a comment or something you'd like us to discuss on the show. We're happy to do that for you, the listener. Uh, in the meantime, we're going uh, to, I think we'll wrap this up here and, and get to cranking out some more interesting columns and hashtag analysis leading up here to this week. I'm Matt. That's Colton. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and good luck.